0: I got to—I got to tell you, our youth group—we're um, seeing amazing things. Uh, not only is the group growing; I think we had 20 youth this last Thursday. Um, but we're seeing kids getting saved. Uh, our youth are inviting their friends. Uh, they were at Summit a few weeks ago and uh, just had a powerful time. So, um, if you're not a youth, but you care about youth, would you make sure on Thursday nights to be praying about praying for them as they gather and? Uh, have an impact in this community and young people. It's pretty exciting. Good stuff. Amen? Amen. How are we doing this morning? Good. Little, little sleepy, maybe? Yeah? That, that time change thing? It's amazing how much one hour can make a difference, right? I woke up this morning. I get up pretty early on uh, Sunday mornings, and I was starting to like the bit of sunshine that I was getting early on Sunday morning, but not today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, extra caffeine on board, and we're going to have a great time this morning. Well, we are in the midst, of course, of a series called God Is, uh, and we're going to be continuing through this uh, for the rest of the years. We talk about uh, the question, who is God? Asking that question and then coming to Scripture and, and discovering for ourselves who is God? Now, we can listen to other preachers. We can listen to, to read commentators. We can, we can read books, and those are all good things. But, but if you want to have a personal relationship with God the Father, what it requires is that you press into getting to know him for yourself. And, and I don't want to just know about God because someone else says it. I want to hear what he says directly to me. I want to learn about his nature, his character, his goodness for myself. And the blessing is, is that he has made himself known. And we've talked about that. His word is available to every single one of us. Isn't it amazing? I think about this. There are parts of the world where you can't get one of these. There are parts of the world where this is outlawed. That you cannot buy the best-selling book, the most distributed book of all time. Because the enemy is still at work trying to keep people from knowing God. But you know what's even sadder than that is that there are places in the world where these sit on bookshelves and never get opened and never get read. And, and, and people who have access never hear the heart of God for them. One of my favorite videos that I've seen online is, uh, is a church in China that receives a shipment of Bibles, and they open up this bag, and they start taking out the Bibles, and the people are holding them and weeping over the Word of God, and it's such a challenge to us to say, okay, do we, how do we value this? How do we value what God has spoken, what He has revealed of Himself? And so, and, 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 and hear me, this is not a guilt trip. This, this could sound like a guilt trip, but it's not. It's, it's an invitation from the heart of God to say, I, I want you to know me. And I've given you the means by which you can know me. And so we've been asking this question, who is God? We've been asking, what do I believe about who God is and why do I believe it? And if what I believe, if I believe that what I believe is really real or true, how is it affecting my life? Because it should Affect your life. Truth should affect the way that you live. Last week we looked at the fact that God is for us, that God is for you. He is not against you. He's on your side. Isn't that good news? God is on your side. And the good news about that is that's the winning side. And you know, you're not winning against someone else, it's not about a competition with other people. It's about an enemy that was defeated 2,000 years ago. We were singing about that this morning. Behold the lamb. The story of redemption written on his hands that he still bears the scars from when he hung on the cross and once and for all defeated sin and the grave. But this morning, I want to kind of turn the corner a little bit. If God is for us, what, what can end up happening is we can start down this road of thinking. We, we can say, well, God is for me, so that means that my life should be easy. Because God is in control, and if he is for me, everything is just going to be great. I hear some of you chuckling. You've discovered that not to be the case. Right? I use that word winning. It's kind of a, a buzzword right now, right? Like when you're winning at something, right? Winning at parenting or winning at baking or winning at getting out of bed in the morning. I don't know, what, what, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm winning. And, and we can bring that to our relationship with God and, and have this idea that like, well, I know Jesus, so I should be winning. And, and you are, but maybe just not in the way that you think you should be. What I want to talk about this morning is problematic for us. This morning during worship, uh, during the, the practice before service, the worship team was practicing, and, and I heard them use this word, and it kind of stuck in my, in, my, uh, in my heart this morning. They were trying to end one of the songs, and I, I'm not a musician, so I might butcher this, Jacques, but, but this is how I understand this. And, and they were getting to the end of the song, and, and it wasn't it wasn't just ending kind of on the right note. And they said, well, how are, how are we gonna resolve this, right? We have to resolve it with the right, with the right note, with the right key. So that, y- and, and you, you don't have to be a music expert to know when something wasn't right. Maybe with the exception of jazz, we were like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then even those playing are like, we don't know, we're just having fun. But for the rest of music, you go, okay. It ends on a note, and you go, well, that wasn't right. It didn't sit right. It did, my ear didn't resonate with that. Is, that. is that accurate? Right? So we want to resolve it. We want to be like, oh, that feels good. When it comes to the issues of pain and suffering and opposition and struggle in our lives and our relationship with God, the, the, the truth is that there is the sovereign God who cares about us. He is eternal. He knows your name. He has moved heaven and earth to save you and move on your behalf, yet we still deal with pain and struggles and suffering. It is difficult for us to resolve that. Our hearts have a really hard time. And because of that, God spends a lot of time in his word talking about it. He addresses that for us. Now, now let me just point out right up front. Is it God's will that you would struggle or that you have pain or you would have opposition in your life? Absolutely not. God's will was that we would live in the garden with him in perfect unity and perfect relationship. But sin came into the world and, and, and brokenness entered The world. It's not that God is the afflictor. God is the redeemer of our affliction. And so, so when we understand that God is for us, we know this. It doesn't mean that our lives will be free of struggle, free of pain, free of opposition, free of lack. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm just, I'm hitting cruise control and I'm comfortable. I love Francis Chan says this, if we were meant to be comfortable, we wouldn't need the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Th- think about this. One of God's names is comforter. It implies something about our lives and that the condition of our need. James, write in, James writes in uh, James 1, 2, consider it pure joy. Say pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't resolve in my soul. I do not face trials and go, oh, this is pure joy. Anyone? We don't. We struggle. Yet, do we believe that the, the, the word of God is true and accurate and that we should live according to it? Yeah? Hello? That's a good place to say yes. So when James writes to us and says, Hey, Thrive Church, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. We should go, Amen. I don't get it, but I'm going to do everything I can to walk in, in line with that. Really? Pure joy? God gets, yes. Yes, we've... We've heard this morning out of Romans 8 as we were singing and as Christy shared it. When I talked to, to you this morning, that not only is God for us, but God is my strength. God is your strength. That, that He's not just strength in proximity, that He is your strength. Paul writes in Romans 8:35 through 39 who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, We are considered, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is such an encouraging passage of scripture, but let's be honest, there's some things in here that are troubling, that we have a hard time resolving. Part of this is we like to read the parts that kind of pump us up, that encourage us, the things that we can turn into memes, right? But we miss the context. We love this idea. We are more than conquerors. Yeah! Right? But we've got to back up a few, verse, a few words. Right. Paul says, no, no, no. In all these things, in what? Hardship, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. In the midst of these things, we are more than conquerors. What Paul doesn't say is, hey, we are more than conquerors because all of a sudden Jesus snaps his fingers and we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. See, because Jesus is not the genie in the bottle. He's not the one where we say, God, can you just take this away from me? And, and then if he doesn't, right, here's, here's the thing. So much of our theology is based on this. If things don't go right, if things are difficult in my life, there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with God. Now, we might not say it that blatantly, but we think it and we feel it. And more often than not, we default to there's something wrong with me because it's easier to blame and safer, right? It's just safer to blame ourselves than it is to blame God. Yet we go there. If there's some kind of struggle in my life, if there's some kind of hardship, I must have done something wrong. I must have misstepped somewhere, I must have made a mistake, there must be some hidden sin in my life, or maybe there's blatant sin that I know about that I just don't want to deal with. But because of those things, there's struggle, there's hardship, there's pain, there's suffering. The problem with this is Jesus experienced hardship and suffering and pain and tribulation. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He was so stressed out, he was sweating blood that his blood vessels were bursting because of the amount of stress and he had no sin. Well, well, then there must be something wrong with God, but we know the answer to that. There's nothing wrong with God. He is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't change. He doesn't, it's not like the shifting shadows. So, so if that's true, if, if, it's not, if it's not necessarily because of sin in my life, though sin will affect us, But I think sometimes we give that more credence and credit than it's due. And if it's not God, then what? We live in a broken and fallen world. We live in a broken and fallen world. And the pain and the suffering and the things that we endure in this world, as James says, we're supposed to consider it pure joy. Now, James is not out of his mind. The pure joy is not The pain. That's just weird. It's not the suffering. It's what it does in him and in us. It's what it causes in our lives when we endure suffering for the name of Jesus. Is it drives us to the foot of the cross. That it causes us to experience the love of God in a way that transforms our lives. It causes us to see him and the world around us differently. And so Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We can't ignore that. We can't skip over it. and We can't gloss over it. Just a few weeks ago, after Sunday morning service, I, someone came up to me and said, did you, did you hear? Which I was kind of laughing because I'm like, no, I've been up here preaching for the last 40 minutes but it was the day that Kobe had passed away in that helicopter crash and over the next few days i had conversations with various people and and someone had said to me well you know it really starts you know you really start questioning the goodness of god because when something like this happens and i thought you know thousands of people die tragically every single day around the world and, and it doesn't make that tragedy any less so. It was tragic. It was tragic, that, that accident. It was tragic that those people lost their lives. And the heart of God grieves over that, as should ours. But it was amazing to me how it's only until something touches our lives, then all of a sudden it comes into focus. We, we live in a bubble. We think, well, my life is good, so everything is good. But knowing that all around the world, right now in, in Nigeria, the, 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 the government of Nigeria just for the first time admitted publicly that Boko Haram is targeting Christians, that every day in the nation of Nigeria, Christians are being murdered because of their faith. And so just because we're not feeling it doesn't mean it's not happening around the world. And, and, and more than that, it doesn't make God any less God. It doesn't make him any less sovereign, and it doesn't make him any less loving. If anything, it should drive us to the foot of the cross. It should drive us into the arm of Je- arms of Jesus to recognize that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is gracious, that he is for us, and that he is our strength. And this theme is repeated throughout scripture over and over and over and over again. I I think God in in his mercy understands where the stuck points will be for us. So he doesn't just give us one or two verses. He repeats himself. Anyone with your kids ever have to repeat yourself? How about this morning? How many of you had to tell your kids this morning to get out of bed? (laughs) Two hands. There's times where we have to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I know there's some teachers in the room. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? I'm like, we just talked about this yesterday. How hard can this be? (laughs) I hear you. I want to read some passages. We're going to go through these pretty quickly because I want to give this overview, Old Testament, New Testament, where the word strength shows up. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Philippians four, thirteen: I can do all, all things. Through him who gives me strength. Another one that we love, right? I can do all things. No, no, no. The the context here is in the midst of the struggle. Psalm 18, one and two. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Why would you have to take refuge? Your life is in danger, right? 2 Th- Thessalonians 3:3 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Habakkuk 3:19 The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights on the heights. I love that. It makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You ever seen a deer running away from danger? It's pretty awesome. Exodus 15.2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has come to my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. And then we read this this last week, Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you complain, Jacob? <laughs> oh, we can stop right there. And he's not talking about Jacob. Jacob is, he's talking to Israel. Why are you complaining? We know, like we talk, we read about the Israelites and we're like, oh man, they grumbled and they complained. What was, what was their deal? <laughs> right? Kind of judgy. God's like, Really? So why do you complain? Insert your name. (laughs) Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by God, by my God. Ah, God's forgotten about me. Then Isaiah says this, do you not know? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is who your, your God is. That he is not just for you, but he will bring strength. That he will lift you up. I love that he says, even youths, right? You remember those days. Come on, somebody. You're like, I remember the days when I could do that. Being at youth group, they're like, play basketball. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just shoot, and that's about it, right? Because these ankles, mm-mm. we don't bounce back like the way we used to. We understand it, in our youth, in our prime, our, our bodies, like, right? We can, we can go for it. You get older, and you realize, not as much anymore. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. How much more are those who are not youths or young? But no matter what, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There's a great story in Scripture about three young men, three youths, who faced the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Jewish boys that had been taken captive from Israel after Israel had been conquered. And they were shipped off to a foreign country and they found themselves in Babylon under the rulership of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. One of their counterparts is a man named Daniel who is a friend of theirs. We heard about Daniel in the lion's den. And Nebuchadnezzar... He, he, he thought he was it, and, and he surrounded himself with people who told him, you're the guy, you're the man, you're the king of kings. They, they would say things like this, oh, king, may you live forever, which was a lie, right? He's like, yes, may I live forever? You're not going to live forever, and so he was convinced and decided that he would build this idol, this altar, this, this monument, this statue of himself, and place it in a prominent place. And the instructions to the land was this, when you hear the music, the trumpet, and the lyre, and the cymbal, and tambourine, you hear the worship of King Nebuchadnezzar taking place, everyone in the land needs to fall on their face, face this idol, fall down on their face, and worship this image of the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were servants of God. They feared God more than they feared men, and they refused. They said, there's no way we're going to do that. Now, they were not insignificant people in the land. See, Nebuchadnezzar realized when he brought these, these young Jewish men and women to his nation that they were educated, they, they had wisdom, that they, they had a skill set that, even the young people in his own country lacked. And so he promoted them to positions of leadership and they led well. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at a young age had been promoted to be overseers of significant areas of responsibility within the nation of Babylon. So for Nebuchadnezzar, To single them out was problematic because it would have cost him something, but he painted himself into a corner, just like he did with Daniel. And he said, listen, if you don't bow, if you don't worship, his instruction was this, you will get thrown into the fiery furnace. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, this is where we pick up the story says this, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. By the way, Jacques, can we get a zither on the worship team? (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. you hear the pride and the arrogance? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, We want you to know your majesty, they're so honoring, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, by the way, can we just pause here? They're seeing the same thing he's seeing. They're seeing the same thing he's seeing. But when the king asks a question, no one dares oppose what the king is saying. Yeah, that's just what you said and he said look i see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods who's the son of god <laughs> nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted shadrach meshach and abednego servants of the most high god come out come here and so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants." And they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except for their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. I don't think he got the heart of God. For no other God can save this in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's an incredible story. And, and we hear it, right, when we were little kids. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. And you're just like, that's amazing. That these three boys, these three young men would stand their ground against the king. There's a few things, though, in this story that I want to point out that I want to highlight. Some things I think are important for us to grasp and understand about their posture before this human king and their posture before the king of kings. See, because they understood those two. Before that, I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. The words will be up on the screen. C.S. Lewis wrote this. If pain sometimes shatters the creature's false self-sufficiency, yet in supreme trial or sacrifice, it teaches him the self-sufficiency which really ought to be his. That is the strength which, if heaven gave it, may be called his own. For then, in the absence of all merely natural motives and supports, he acts in that strength and that alone which God confers upon him through his subjected will. Sometimes C.S. Lewis writes in a way that you have to read it like six times to go, I'm not sure what he's saying. But here's what he's saying to us, is that pain will cause our self-sufficiency to be shattered. See, we think we're in control of our lives. And pain and struggle and suffering are a reminder that we're not. And if we will choose to embrace not our own strength, but the strength that comes from God and adopt that and stand in that place, then it doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. It doesn't matter what happens with merely natural motives. What we can then do is stand in the strength of God in the face of whatever comes our way. And in his book, he goes on to say that this is a gift from God to us. If you've not read the book, I highly, highly recommend it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this. They understood that the strength that they got from God, that came from God, that strength that that was poured into them by the Almighty was greater than anything they faced in this world. Any king, any ruler, any authority, any threat didn't matter to them because they knew who they belonged to. They knew who their God was. So there's a few things that take place. First of all is this. You don't need to defend God or yourself. I love that they stand up in front of the king and say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, if there's anyone you need to defend yourself to, it's the king. But their their honor and their trust in God superseded whatever King Nebuchadnezzar brought to the table. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to give you reasons why we're choosing to worship our our God versus you. I, I think sometimes as Christians, what we want to do is defend God or defend ourselves. Sometimes to ourselves. We go through difficulties and trials or something happens in the world and then there's the finger pointing that says, well, if God was a loving God and we feel like as believers that we have to go, well, let me, uh, well, God, right? And we put on our back foot. I'm not saying you have to be rude about it, but you don't have to defend God. He is sovereign with or without you. He is in control with or without you. And and people's lack of capacity or their lack of understanding to know that is not because God hasn't made himself known. It's until we embrace him and engage him and and put our trust in him, we cannot fathom that. For Nebuchadnezzar, it it, it was the, the king of the country, Couldn't fathom how these boys, these young men would say, We trust God over you. I'm the king. And you just hear them say I would live forever. I have everything. Everything is under my control. We don't have to defend ourselves to you. I think sometimes as Christians, in the midst of our pain, we look for other reasons. We try and explain away or or understand or give, put words in God's mouth as to why this or that may be happening. Remember last week we read in Exodus, God said, hey, I will defend you. All you have to do is be still. I think sometimes our wordiness gets in the way of our trust. God says, stand back and let me do the work that I need to do. And don't try and defend me that we need to just trust him without putting up the walls, without putting up the defensiveness. The next thing is this, trust him even when it doesn't go the way you think it should. This one's really tough. These three young men said these words to the king, but even if he does not, how many times in our lives do we say to God, God, if you will do this, I will put my trust in you. God, if you will come through, right? The foxhole prayers. God, if you save me, I'll believe in you. Those moments where, where we have to come to terms with the fact that God doesn't work the way that we work, that his answers don't always look the way we think they should to stand in front of that fiery furnace and say, God will deliver us. He'll save us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, even if we get thrown in that fire and it consumes us and we die, we still trust him. We still believe that he is good. He is still worthy of our worship and our praise. And under the threat of death, we are not gonna shift our allegiance from the God of the universe to some human king. Now, you might not have a Nebuchadnezzar in your life, but there's things that try to be a Nebuchadnezzar. There are situations and there are problems in your life that are asking you to worship and bow down, bow down and worship them versus God. There, there, there are things in your life that are seeking your allegiance, your attention, your focus, your everything, your energy. And so often those come in the form of problems and opposition and pain. And the enemy of our souls would say, you know what, this thing is deserving of more attention than God is. In fact, because of this thing going on in your life or this circumstance in your life, you can really call into question whether he is a good God or not. And we go right back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say? God never changes. He is for us, he's not against us. His plan is eternal and sovereign and he sees the big picture. And so we get stuck so often in the midst of the circumstances saying, God, I need you to answer this prayer and I need you to answer it this way. But even if he does not, I want to have that kind of trust. I want to have that kind of faith. God, I am walking through a trial. I am walking through the fire. God, I'm in pain. God, this hurts. God, this this is breaking my heart. And God, I, I need you to come through. But even if you don't, even if it doesn't get resolved the way I need it to be resolved, even if you don't, I will not stop worshiping you. Paul said it this way, in all these things, In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What what makes us the conquerors? The victory over the suffering, the pain, the persecution, the opposition? No. What makes us a conqueror? The love of God. The love of God for you, the love of Jesus for you, and the fact that you cannot be separated from that love no matter what, that's what makes you a conqueror. That makes you victorious in Jesus. That means that you can stand in the face of anything that life would throw your way, this world would throw your way and go, you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm, a, I'm more than a conqueror because God loves me. Now, now, hear my heart. I'm not saying that we ignore pain. I'm not saying that, 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 that the things that we feel should just be diminished and say, well, just stop feeling that. God loves you. You've heard me say this enough, that God's designed us with a capacity to feel, to walk through things. But it's in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the fire, that he deepens that trust, he deepens that love, and that we can stand in the easy times, as C.S. Lewis would say, it's easy to say, I trust God when everything is going great. It's, it's another thing in the midst of the trials and the pain to say, I trust God there as well, if not more. In fact, it's in the trials that I, I learned to get on my face before him and surrender my control and say, Lord, have your way in me. Third thing, thing is this that we see in the story. God is with them in the fire. God is with you in the fire. If you knew that God was with you everywhere you go, every day, every moment, no matter what you walk through, I suggest that it would change the way that you live. But I think we forget this. Yes, God is with me on Sunday morning at church. Yes, God is with me when I'm doing my devotions or listening to worship music in the car. But then I get to work. Guess what? God does not stay in the car. Right? In fact, he was at work before you got there. He's gone ahead of you. Whatever it, whatever it is you're walking into, no matter where it is you're going, whatever decision you're having to make, whatever thing you're facing, God's already there before you. And he's with you in the midst of the fire. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of Can you imagine that conversation? <laughs> Thinking, oh, well, I'm about to die. That the people throwing them into the fire died because the fire was so hot. Yeah, here are these three young men now standing in the fire, and Jesus is with them in this place, and they're walking around. Hey, guys, I got gotcha. you. Now, the fire was no less hot, no less threatening, but the presence of God in the midst of the trial will change everything, that you can walk through the hardest things. Remember Jesus in the boat with the disciples in that storm, and they're freaking out. Any, anyone prone to freaking out? They're freaking out. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Guys, I got this. Not because I have the power to put the storm to rest, which he does. He's like, I'm with you. My presence, I am with you. And when, when I am with you, nothing can be against you. See, it doesn't matter what you're walking through if you're walking through it with God. He says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that really matters in the difficult times. If, if life was just easy, if this Christian walk was just easy, we wouldn't need God a whole lot. But it's in these places of challenge and pain and suffering that we have to get on our face before him and say, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. And his reminder every day is this I am with you. I am with you. I am with you in the fire, in all these things. We are more than conquerors. And then finally, this morning, your trust in the midst of trials will bring glory to God every single time. I think one of the lies of the enemy against the church is this keep it a secret. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what you're going through. It goes back to the first thing I said. Because if something's going wrong, there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with God. So just keep it quiet because people will judge you and people will form opinions about you or it's embarrassing. But what if we shifted that? What if what we believed about God was true and we actually 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 started living that out in this place to say, you know what? I'm in the midst of the trial of my life right now. And rather than hiding it, I'm gonna find some trusted friends, some trusted people to say, Here's what I'm in the midst of. Hey, can you stand with me as God stands with me? And in the midst of that, in the midst of taking that stand, we know this, that God will get the glory. Nebuchadnezzar's words were, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he declares over the nation, we we need to trust in this God. He's pretty amazing. And other people's lives were impacted because of their faith and their trust in the midst of the fire. Revelations 12 tells us this, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We overcome. You don't have to overcome if there's no opposition. Right? But the hurdle the hurdle race is a lot easier if there's no hurdles. Tennis is a lot easier if there's no net. Life is not free of obstacles and opposition. You have an enemy that's seeking to steal, kill and destroy your life, but we overcome. We persevere, persevere. we get through the trials, we get through the challenges, we get through the pain because God is for us, he's not against us. And as we do, the testimony of God in our lives will impact those around us. Well, Pastor Barry, what about those times where the outcome is less than optimal? That loved one still died. That issue is still lingering. The problems seem to still be mounting. What do we do then? God is no less God in those circumstances and those times than he is in the victories. He can't be God of our victories and not of our defeats. And we don't see the whole picture. We don't see with eternal eyes. We don't see the way God sees he, he alone has that perspective, which is why we have to cling to him to say, God, I don't see everything, and I don't understand why this is happening, and I know I, I'm not supposed to try and defend you. And it's hard. It's hard to reconcile it. It's hard to resolve that. But can I tell you this? When people know that you're walking through a trial, yet the joy of the Lord is still filling your life, what an amazing testimony to who God is. Even when in the midst of the battle, and we say, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'm, str- I'm suffering, I'm struggling, and this is hard. But even in the midst of this, I know that God loves me and that He is for me, He is not against me, and He is moving on my behalf. The people around you who do not know Jesus will be baffled. How can you say that? Because I know. I know. Because I know who my God is. I know what his character is. Because I've pressed into his word to discover his nature and his character. And I understand that he does not move in a way that is contrary to his nature and to his character. And so it causes us to stand. And lives will be changed. Do you know that the church has grown more? historically that the church has expanded more historically under persecution than it has in times of peace this is illustrated not just individually but corporately around the world when times of peace and prosperity come you know what people do they decide they don't need god anymore i'm good look how smart i am look what my hands have made Look what I have figured out. But it's in the times of persecution and it's the times of opposition and it's the times of pain globally where we see the church of Jesus Christ exploding. I mentioned Nigeria a little bit ago. I'm I'm in a, a cohort, a learning cohort with a group of people from around the world and three of them are Nigerian. And can I tell you I've rarely encountered people with the kind of faith that they they have. The way that they think about, when your life is under threat because of the gospel, it causes you to live differently. And as much as the church is being threatened by Boko Haram and, and, and Islamic militants, the church is growing by leaps and bounds in the nation of Nigeria. The four square church is growing by leaps and bounds in the face of opposition. And so in those times where we start experiencing suffering and opposition and pain, what it does is it drives us, our dependency to God, on God to a deeper level and we grow, and the church grows, and we come together in ways that we don't when everything is just good and comfortable. We forget that people are dying and going to hell. In Glendora as much as in Nigeria. And if the focus for this is, Lord, just make my life comfortable, we miss the point. We miss the point. God says, I want to be glorified and I will be glorified in your life, in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of things you don't get. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors, which causes us to have the same attitude as Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6, but he said to me, God's response to Paul when he's like, God, I've got some pain in my life. I have an affliction. We don't know what it was. But Paul's honest. He says, there is something going on in my life that is painful, and I want God to take it away. And God's response to him is this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to Paul. Guy's nuts. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, maybe, maybe our posture should not be, God, make my life better and more easy Maybe our posture should be like, Paul, God, I want to delight in the difficult things because I know when I do, when I know when I surrender, that your grace, your power are displayed in my life. Maybe the posture of our lives should be like Paul, God, I embrace my weaknesses because when I am weak in you, then I am strong. Can we stand together? So a message like this is problematic. You guys can come up, Jacques. How do you resolve this? How do you walk out of this place now and go, okay, Pastor Barry, I hear, I can't argue with the word of God, first of all, right? And there was a lot of passages because I wanted you to hear the heart of God in this this morning. But how do I walk out of this place? Because you know what you're going through. You know what you're going through and every one of us is probably facing some kind of trial Some kind of opposition, some kind of suffering, some kind of persecution. How do we walk out of this place and resolve this? How do we make sense of this? You've got to be with Jesus. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were able to face the fire, not because in the moment they said, oh no, what do we do? Oh wait, we're going to trust God. It came on the heels of a lifetime of looking to God of trusting him, of knowing him. This knowledge, this understanding this morning is not going to flip a switch and you're going to go, oh, I delight. You're not. In fact, I would would suggest this, that the enemy wants to come against you this week in a way that's going to cause you to question everything you just heard today. But for you to go, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know your nature. I want to know your heart. I want to know your character. God, I want to know you the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew you. I want to know you in the way that David knew you. I want to know you in the way that the disciples knew you. God, I want to know you. That we would press into that place. See, that the answer doesn't come in trying to figure out our issues. The answer comes when we press into Jesus say lord i want to know you so father this morning as we as we close this time we know this whatever is next you're already there you're already moving on our behalf you are for us you're not against us and lord day you are committing committed to strengthening us in the midst of our weakness god we're weak we're weak in body, we're weak in will, we're weak in, in mind and understanding, but you are our strength. So, Lord, cause us to rely on you, to trust you above everything in this world. In, those, in the same way, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love, God, that you've also called us to not trust anything in this world, but to trust you alone. Help us, to, Lord, to walk in the midst of that trust to keep our eyes firmly, permanently, always fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are walking through a trial, if there is a point of pain or suffering in your life, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. We believe that power the power of prayer to, to heal, to transform, to strengthen. We also believe in the power of community for people to stand with each other. And so our prayer team is available as we sing this closing song. If you need prayer for anything at all, feel free to go back and, and our prayer team would love to pray with you. Let's sing together as we close.